What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Dawkins Going Duke. This week, we have uh, Riley News and Observer sports columnist Luke DeCock um, talk about his <clears throat> journey over the years of covering Duke and covering coach, uh, even a few stories about covering coach at the uh, Rio Olympics in 2016. Um, we did record this uh, Wednesday morning, so before the UVA game. So um, if you're wondering why we didn't talk about that game at all, that is why. Um, but as always, make sure you check us out. Um, over on our YouTube channel, The Field of 68. Um, it's where we post clips for all of our podcasts from all across the network. Um, and check us out on Twitter um, at The Field of 68 and uh, my personal Twitter, Dre underscore Dawkins. Let us know what you think and um, let us know who you want to hear from next. Uh, but hope you enjoy this one. Uh, I had a really fun time with it. And uh, I'll see you on the next one. <clears throat> okay, what's going on, everybody? We're back. Uh, this week, we have uh, Luke DeCock, uh, a sports columnist at the Raleigh News and Observer. Uh, thank you for coming on, Luke. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. It's good to, good to catch up. Um, so kind of introduce yourself to, <clears throat> to people. Tell us what you do um, down in Raleigh-Durham area. Yeah, uh, I'm, a, I'm a sports columnist for the News and Observer, as you said. Um, I've been doing that for 14 14 years now. And for me, that means writing about everything in the triangle. So obviously Duke, North Carolina, NC State, Carolina Hurricanes, plus whatever else happens. Uh, I've covered Super Bowls. I do a lot with the Panthers during the season, uh, covered Olympics, uh, Final Fours, obviously, all kinds of stuff. But it's an unbelievable market to do what I do because people just care so much. And, uh, you know, they care about UNC, they care about Duke, they care about NC State. Um, the hurricanes are good again after 10 years sort of in the, in the wilderness and people care about that. And there's a lot of other stuff going on. I mean, obviously guys like, you know, it's a great area for high school basketball. Mm -hmm. guys like John Wall and, and people like that. And NC State women have a chance to win a national title this year. So there's always something going on. Uh, but the, the vast majority of what I end up doing on a regular basis is, I mean, the number one thing is, is college basketball. And that typically means Duke and North Carolina. Okay. Um, so I asked all of uh, the former players I have on uh, this question. So I'll ask you kind of a form of the question. What is your welcome to covering Duke moment? Hmm. Uh, you know, most people would say it involves sitting on press row and Cameron, you know, and having mm -hmm. some student, you know, dry hump the back of your chair and sit on your <laughs> laptop, which I, I, I actually, we, we can talk about this later. I have my own seat now, not on press oh, row, nice. which is great. Um, no, for me, it, it was actually before I covered Duke. I was, it was 2005. Uh, I was covering my first job when I came to Raleigh for the first eight years I was here, I was covering the Hurricanes as a beat writer, but 2405. The NHL didn't play because of, of a lockout. Mm -hmm. and, and so they pulled me into basketball coverage in, in 2005. And I went with Duke in the NCAA tournament. Mm -hmm. And the first round was in Charlotte. The, the first weekend was in Charlotte. And the second weekend was in uh, Austin, Texas. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was working on a story because it was 10 years after the whole 1995 K Pete Gaudette thing. And I was working on a story about that and kind of what's, what's changed and the, you know, what happened in the decade since and all of that. And I remember asking Kay about it at one of the big NCA press conferences in Charlotte and not knowing what would happen. I mean, he'd been asked about it obviously during the season, but you know I, how those NCA press conferences can get sometimes, you know, they can get a little frisky. 
And I just, it, it wasn't, his answer was fine. Like it was good. And I used it in the story, but I just remember sort of, you know, you stand up and you have to identify yourself and asking that question in front of all those people and him sort of staring daggers at me while I asked it. <laughs> um, you know, that, that probably more than anything was my welcome to Duke covering Duke moment. Um, you know, I've covered a, obviously a ton of Duke UNC games over the years. I, I, you know, the one that stands out is the Austin Rivers game, probably mm -hmm. above the rest. But um, that for me in 05, just the sort of hockey writer thrown into basketball coverage, although I obviously covered basketball a lot before. Um, but standing up in the, in the you know, in, under the, the bowels of the, the Charlotte arena and asking that question, that was, uh, you're kind of, you're, you're, there's, there's no way back from that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you obviously cover all of the triangle area schools is it is it difficult when they're playing each other to not like to not pick a side and say okay i want this team to win or i want that team to win or is it is it easy to just stay neutral for you as a writer? yeah yeah no it's it's totally easy to stay neutral and you know the, the thing that we root for as journalists all of us is is the story like we want mm -hmm. interesting things to happen that we can write about um that's that's it um there really are no allegiances. I mean, even when NC State is playing Syracuse or Duke is playing Virginia, um, you know, I'm a non-combatant. I'm just kind of mm -hmm. writing about whatever happens. But you're always rooting for, and I think this is what people, a lot of people don't understand. You're always rooting for good stories. Like you, like it's almost always, not always better when the teams are good. Right. Um, so you want them to be, you know, top 10 teams. You want a chance to cover the final four. You want to go on a, a long NCAA tournament run not because you're rooting for the team, because it's fun. Like the NCAA, covering the NCAA tournament is fun. Like it's one of the few things in this job where, you know, you, you can actually really savor and enjoy it. It doesn't feel as much like work, not because you get to watch games or you're rooting for the teams, but because everyone cares so much and you feel like you're just kind of at the center of the universe. Plus typically not always typically NCAA tournament sites are places you would like to go and you do get time off, you know, the, at night, like I, you know, or, or even during the day on game days, you know, if you, some of these places are great places to go for a run. I had a, a run for a while where I was running across rivers and into new States and like four or five <laughs> straight NCAA tournament sites, yeah. in Omaha and Memphis and Philadelphia and places like that. So um, no, you, 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 you really don't have a rooting interest other than like, let's have some stuff happen. Like, I'm not going to lie, like that, the, the Michigan, Wisconsin thing the other day with John Howard and Greg Gard and all that, like, great for you. I'm not guys. saying I want people to get in fights or anything. Yeah. <laughs> but like, that's, that's something that would be interesting to write about. Even like uh, the, the pit game in Cameron a couple of years ago when Kay lost it on the, on the students over the Jeff. Yeah. Game. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, I wasn't there that night, but like, that was interesting because for some of us who have been around for a while, you can get into sort of, Kay's relationship over the years with the crazies and kind of in that 0809 period, uh, he was on them a lot. Like he was on them a lot, a lot, criticizing yeah. them and pushing them and all that. So yeah, so that that's what we're rooting for. Like, give me stuff to write about that people want to read. Um, I'll take that. Um so like in the aftermath of let's say <clears throat> the Austin River shot, um what is it, you know, shot goes in, game's over. Like, what, what, is, what is that like for you? Are you, you know, scrambling to try and get something yeah. out? Um, is it just hectic for you at that point? 
Yeah, that one was, I use that as an example, like if I speak at like a, a rotary club or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. like the Durham Sports Club of how hard this job can be at times. Because here's, here's the thing people don't get about that. And, and this has changed a little bit in the 10 years since just because of the way the newspaper industry has changed. But at that time, so that's a Saturday night, I think. Like I have a deadline to get a column in the Sunday paper the moment the game ends. Like I have to literally hit send at the buzzer. So normally you can work your way through that. You can write some sort of general stuff. And if the game is a blowout, obviously it's, it's, it's not that hard, but you know, beat writers do that all the time. And it's easy for them because they can pack that with a lot of what happened during the game. As a columnist, you're expected to have an opinion on what just happened, uh, which on a game that's decided in unexpected fashion at the buzzer now I'm staring essentially at a blank screen and I'm yeah. 650 words away and someone is literally pinging my cell phone. Like, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? <laughs> yeah. That one was particularly tough because I think UNC led by like 10. With like yeah. They were up 40 pretty much the whole game. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a column written that I was ready <laughs> to send at the buzzer. And then in that minute 40, even down to the last 20 seconds, I, I, I think right about the time, maybe 40 seconds, right about the time Zeller tips the shot into his own bucket. I'm still thinking, okay, I can tweak, you know, I can say, and then Duke rallied at the end, whatever. There's a lot of sort of, you know, little tweaks. But I'm also starting to realize in that final minute, like maybe there's a timeout or something, like you better come up with a column where you have something meaningful to say if Duke ends up winning this. Now, I didn't know Austin Rivers was going to hit that shot, (laughs) but I was grinding away at that point during all those, any stoppage on, what would it mean if Duke won? How, did, how, you know, whatever, whatever. I don't even remember what I wrote. I'm not even sure it was in English, but <laughs> Rivers hits the shot. And then it's like, it's just go time. It's basically 600. I, I probably, I usually write 600 to 700 words. That was probably on the shorter side, given the circumstances, but it was basically 600 stream of consciousness words about how crazy that was and where it fits and Duke UNC finishes. I could think of off the top of my head and whatnot. So um, yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. That that really is uh, as hard as this job gets. And, and now, as I said, we don't do that anymore necessarily. Like we don't have those deadlines. Like our deadlines are so early now. Like our Saturday deadline is like two thirty in the afternoon for the Sunday paper. That I don't. I'm not really under that gun that much anymore. Not like I used to be. Maybe like it's weird now. Like we get into those circumstances with like a noon football game um, or something stupid like that. But typically yeah. now we're writing for online. We don't have that print deadline hanging over us. The column, like my column from a Saturday game is not going to run till Monday anyway. Mm-hmm. So you are not usually in those situations as much anymore, although they do happen and we do try to get stuff up as, as quickly as possible. So what has um, your relationship with coach been like over, um, you know, from, 05 when you know you first uh your first question to him is at the the press conference to you know up until now where um you know he's in his last season uh, only got a few games left in the regular season yeah it's interesting like I, when i became a columnist in in the summer of 2008 i mean i don't think he really had any idea who i was mm-hmm. um and 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 like that's fair i mean i mean he might have known me as like that hockey writer in the nno because he is a huge hurricanes fan which is which is funny and he's he's always been I don't know whether he was a hockey fan before the Hurricanes got here or not, but he's, he's always sort of been a Hurricanes fan. And so he may have known of me or whatever. Um, 
I mean, I covered the 2004 ACC tournament in Greensboro. I can't remember. You know, we certainly didn't interact there, but I'd been around a little mm-hmm. bit. And he, me in 2005, have said, you know, who the hell is this idiot? Um, <laughs> that Mike Craig or John Jackson or, you know, one of his, one of his, his, his uh, consigliere types. But um, no, it, it, it's, it's something that definitely evolves over time. And then, you know, uh, there's a, with, with him, uh, especially when you're starting out, you know, there's always that sort of the, the tests, you know, mm-hmm. he's going to, he's going to interrupt your questions. I'm sure it's the same way with players. Like mm-hmm. there's a proving ground where you have to prove yourself to him that one, you're like, like I learned very quickly and I, this has never really been an issue for me, but like, if you're going to ask him a question, you don't want to give him any wiggle room. Mm-hmm. You want to make it clear and direct and to the point. You don't want anything in the phrasing of the question that he's going to, you know, take issue or argue with. But if you ask him a good question, you get a good answer. Yeah. You know, there's no, there's, there's, if you ask him a question, especially something he wants to talk about, mm-hmm. there's no BS there. You never want to ask the first question because you could ask him, like, what did you think of the weather today? And he's going to say, well, the weather was terrific, but, but we really struggled against the zone. I mean, <laughs> that, knocked, that knocked us back, you know, so he's going to talk about whatever he didn't get to in his opening statement with that first question. Yeah. Um, but no, and then over time, I think I would like to think that he came to respect the work I do. I, I, I can't ascribe those motivations to him, but you know, you got to the point where you, I would run into him at, at a Duke football game in the old press box, which was this converted medical building that hung over the stadium. And I bumped into him and we talked a little bit about wine and stuff like that. We've talked mm-hmm. a lot about wine over the years because I know a little bit about it. And he's he's kind of nuts for it at times. Yeah, yeah. He's a big fan of wine. Yeah. Yeah. It was one year. I can't remember where we were. It might have been ACC Media Days. We were talking about the Jimmy V wine auction fundraiser in Napa. He was like, well, you you know, you had to come out for that. You had to get the Ananota to send you there. And it's like 12 grand to get in the door. And I was like, where do you think I work, man? Come on. Uh, but no, and, and and now I feel like, you know, it, it's been a long time. We've obviously reached the end here. But I feel like he, he's not going to take issue with my questions now. Like if mm-hmm. I screw up and leave something ambiguous or something, I feel like I've, I've earned a little bit of leeway with him. And he and I sat down um, before the season in his office in September, October. You know, we talked about a lot of sort of honest, open things. You know, we mm-hmm. talked about his dog who had just died um, and, and the role that dogs have played in his coaching career. That's a really personal subject for some people. Now, I'm, I'm a dog guy. I didn't used to be. I am now. He became one as well over the course of his coaching career. But that was a really honest, open conversation. Like, I feel like he wouldn't necessarily have said some of the things he would he said if he didn't either trust me a little bit or respect me a little bit. Um, and I've sort of learned to do, to, to, to ask questions to him or, or ask about things that I, I think will, will get a response. I'm not trolling, but, you know, try to lead him to talk about things that I, I need. I want to hear what he has to say. I was going to say, I need him to talk about, but get the answers that I need to write what I want to write. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I think it's an evolving relationship. Look, he has, you know, there's guys who have covered Duke for years and years and years, like Barry Jacobs, um, who he likes to make fun of. But that's an extremely affectionate thing that happens over decades. And like Steve Wiseman, our beat writer, he loves to make fun of Steve about the Cardinals. Like, he doesn't care that I'm a Cubs fan. Like, I grew up in Chicago. He grew up in Chicago. None of that matters to him. But he loves the fact that Wiseman is a Cardinals fan because he can, you know, you can jab, jab him about it <laughs> on, the, on the rare occasions. The Cubs are better than the Cardinals. <laughs> that, that wonderful three years when that was the case. But 
you know, all, all of that goes into it. Um, you know, I, it's different. You know, if you go by, talk to people who covered Duke or UNC or whoever in the, in the 80s and even really 90s, really pre-95 in Kay's case, you know, he had a lot of time from the media and a lot of sort of, you know, Dean was the same way. You could talk to him in his office. You could stop by. Um, practices were, were more open back then. It was a different era. It was pre-internet. It was pre-Twitter. It was pre-Facebook. Mm-hmm. All of that. And, and, and you understand why it was different. But after 95, you know, one of the things that he decided um, to prioritize, not just basketball, that was part of it, but his health was, you know, a lot of this charitable stuff, he didn't disengage from any of it, but he delegated a lot of the management of that to people around him, whether it was his daughters or people in the athletic department, and he cut back on media. Mm -hmm. And that was just sort of a decision that he made then and and stuck with that he was going to be available after games and on now on the ACC teleconference on Mondays. Um, But other than that, during the season, you were only really going to sit down and talk to him before the the two Carolina games and then sort of in the postseason. And that, you know, that was a a sort of a prioritization that, that he made of his time and schedule and I think it's a little unfortunate because, you know, people would always say like, oh, you know, Roy must be so much fun to talk to. And, and Kay, ooh, that's scary. And I was like, well, actually, you know, if you ask Kay a good question, you're going to get an unbelievable answer. And nothing against Roy, who I really, I, I love Roy. We talk about all kinds of stuff. Roy's great. But if you were going to get stuck on a desert island with one of those two guys and there was no golf course there, You'd much or or craps table there. I think you'd much rather get stuck with Kay because he has this very wide, like you see with his radio show, you know, Beyond Basketball. That's a very deliberate title. He has this very wide ranging interest in a lot of things, whether that's politics or the economy or or whatever. Like remember, you were around when he started coaching the Team USA and he started talking about sport all the time instead of sports and this very sort of international vernacular. Um, he has those kinds of wide ranging interests and. Um, you know, I, I think that makes him that makes him interesting. I, I wish we had more opportunities to to kind of you know get some of that insight. But I totally understand how we ended up where we are. Yeah. Do you remember your first time um, getting him one on one in an interview and what that was like? Yeah, I, I do. It was it was actually a, a while into my my tenure because typically our you know whatever opportunities that we had would go to our Duke beat writer, which is fine. Like that, they need that they need that more than more than the columnist does. Um, and there were sort of moments like at ACC media days where we would end up talking for a long time off the record ish, you know, mm-hmm. like off just talking, talking like humans in, in the hallway or, or whatever, but no, it was before the, the Rio uh, Olympics. Um, I was going down there. That was his third trip to the Olympics with team USA. And, you know, we sat, I sat in his office for, it felt like forever before the, the team USA training camp in Vegas uh, a couple of weeks before that. And, you know, he, that's when he told me like, Hey, Le- LeBron's done his time. Like we're not going back to LeBron. Like LeBron has served team USA. He's done it. He's done. And that ended up making some pretty big headlines. Cause I think there was always this conception that LeBron was maybe taking the 2016 Olympics off and, and would, would come back in the future. But Kay basically said, no, LeBron and I have talked and he's, he's, he's done. And, and we're fine with that. Like mm-hmm. he's, he's, he's put in his time and, and done his, his, his sort of tour of duty. Um, so we talked for a long time about that and, and sort of how things had changed. Uh, you know, a big issue at that time or, or talking point at that time was the sort of turnover, uh, the, the, the changing of, of the guard to Greg Popovich and how that was going to work and what Pop's role was going to be in Rio and all that. Um, but I just remember that was the first time I was in his office 
And I just, the thing that struck me was not all the stuff on the walls and all that, which obviously is impressive, but the view from that balcony. Yeah, yeah. Not just all of campus, but, but kind of, um, you know, Durham and the, just sort of all the, it just, it feels like it goes on forever because it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of so flat right there. And I'm just kind of had this vision of him getting there early in the morning and kind of opening those balcony doors and kind of looking out over his, his domain yeah. <laughs> as only he could. But yeah, that was, that was the first time he and I ever really sat down and um, talked. It was certainly the first time in, in his office. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned you covered the uh, Olympics in 2016 in Rio. Um, what was that experience like? Did you, did you feel like it was uh, a different coach than you get uh, you know, during the season at Duke, um, then, you know, as opposed to, you know, him coaching the NBA guys and, and being down there for the Olympics, you feel like he was, um, uh, not a different person, but just, there's a, there's a difference in him, uh, in dealing with him with Duke stuff, as opposed to dealing with him with the team USA stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And it wasn't at all what I expected. I mean, based on London and Beijing, I had sort of expected this, this more free and easy, Coach K, you know, sparring with the international media and all that. And he was actually, this, I don't mean this in a pejorative way. He, he was kind of hard to deal with compared to how he normally is. He just, mm-hmm. and, and in retrospect, you understand why he was in extraordinary pain. You know, that was a, the period before his, his back surgery that summer. Um, you know, you could see it the way he sat on the bench. He was very kind of hunched over and his knees pressed together. Um, he didn't look right. Mm-hmm. And as it turns out, he didn't feel right. And, you know, I thought like I was there and, and Jeff Gravely from who was at WRL at the time was there. And I thought he would be, you know, like happy to see us dealing with all these sort of NBA and international people. And, you know, we really, and not, not that I was expecting us to get cut any slack, but we really didn't. I mean, he barely acknowledged us. Um, and I think a part of that was, he was just trying to get through it at that Mm -hmm. point. I mean, there was a ton of pressure on that team for one thing, because it was missing a lot of the stars who had sort of, you know, rebuilt things in, in 08 and 12. And then as we know now, he was in extraordinary pain Mm -hmm. and he was doing a a pretty good job of hiding it. You know, Rio in general covering that Olympics, I, I, that and the, the, the carrier classic in 2011, UNC and Michigan state Mm -hmm. on the Carl Vincent, those are the two, signature experiences of my career there's, there's nothing like covering an olympics um it's amazing everything about it is amazing doing it in rio was amazing uh got to explore the city uh you know the the you you do kind of the cliche about running into these foreign journalists who invite you to your home like like mm-hmm. i got like i had this guy on a bus writing on his address in Tunis or uh, algeria like if you ever come to algeria you have to come visit and um, getting stuck on a bus that got lost um, with, a, with a guy from Serbia where we're kind of like trying to communicate, like, are we in trouble? Are we in yeah. trouble? Here? <laughs> are we in trouble? And then I was, ended up seeing that guy a lot because he was covering, in addition to what we were going out to this place called Diodoro, where like the shooting and field hockey and, and women's basketball were, um, women's basketball is out there. Women's basketball is out of downtown anyway. And, and, and this was the same bus route that kind of cut through these mountains and there were these favelas where the next day that bus got shot. Like they, someone shot through the window of that bus. Wow. Or a stray bullet or whatever. But we were on this bus completely lost, kind of in exurban Rio, trying to get to, I think I was trying to get out there for, for either field hockey or women's basketball. But um, there were all kinds of crazy stuff like that. And then I would see that guy again 
because Serbia was was in the basketball. I'm pretty sure, mm-hmm. but but I would see that guy again at the at the basketball arena. Very little to talk about, but um, you know, the recognize each other. And so there was a lot of that, and and um, just the 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 atmosphere really is different. It's covering Olympics is a, is is a special deal. It's, yeah. it's different. Like it and 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 the athletes and the coaches and the administrators and like the it, Olympics in general is like tremendously flawed and corrupt and horrible and all of that. The actual <laughs> yeah. games themselves tend to redeem, uh, if not all of that, a, a pretty good chunk of that. Yeah. Did you cover anything else other than basketball while you were there? Yeah, I did. You know, I was I was there. You know, for the NNO and 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 we were very concerned about. You know, Kay, I mean, one of the narratives was, you know, if he won a gold medal in 2016, he just won a national title in 2015. Mm-hmm. Would he potentially drop the keys on the table like Dean Smith did for Bill Guthridge and walk away, you know, the third gold medal or whatever? So there was always that sort of paranoia about that happening. Um, but I did. Yeah. I mean, I did all kinds of things. Uh, long distance swimming, uh, target shooting, uh, women's basketball, field hockey. Uh, uh, I didn't do a, a little swimming, did a little swimming. Um, you know, it's just kind of wherever we had people from North Carolina or people mm-hmm. from Duke or NC State or UNC, you know, I would try to get to those places as much as I can. You know, basketball, though, was the priority. And um, yeah. it was, it's crazy because you, the, 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 the sort of media availability at, like after a game is very structured. You know, you have the coaches press conference with like 10 interpreters around the walls doing live mm-hmm. interpretation. And you have, uh, you know, the, the, the mixed zone with, with, um, you have the mixed zone with, um, where the players have to walk through and the media is all kind of lining the, 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 the barrier and they mm-hmm. can stop and talk to you if they want or not. And the assistant coaches come through there, but you go to team USA practice, which was held in the gym of, I believe it was Corinthians. It was one of the soccer club, big soccer mm-hmm. clubs in Rio that have other sports teams like rowing and basketball. And you're in this little gym. It's basically like a high school gym with stands on one side, it's brick and it's, you know, humid. And it's like an mm-hmm. old school gym, gym. But you're there. Kay's just wandering around and Bayheim's just <laughs> wandering around and Thibodeau's just wandering around and Kevin Durant's sitting there looking at his phone. And it's just kind of, you get out of that very formal Olympic thing. And then there's yeah. these moments. So my, my sister-in-law is from upstate New York. Uh, and, and she went to Cornell, but she grew up a Syracuse fan. She was turning 40. And I asked Beheim, like, do you mind? He was like standing on the wall, you know, just doing his Jim Beheim thing. And I said, do you mind? I said, I, you know, my sister-in-law, blah, 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 huge Syracuse fan. Her dad's a huge Syracuse Do you mind doing a quick, 40th birthday video for because mm-hmm. they my my brother was putting together like this huge you know birthday stuff this huge video reel of like hey happy birthday whatever I was mm-hmm. like oh man if I can get Aheim you know I, I win yeah right <laughs> like you know, President Obama or something like I'm, I'm I feel pretty good about this. yeah and uh, so Aheim does the video and he manages to insult her hometown in the middle of it because <laughs> he's Jim Aheim he's like how do you ever get out of Tully <laughs> and they played this like it's a big deal when it comes. Like, holy sh- holy crap, it's too bad. And he goes, "How do you ever get her dad?" Like screams at the screen. <laughs> so that's my Jim. That's one of my Jim Beheim stories. But that's the kind of thing you can do at the Olympics. Yeah, when you get out of the sort of uh, uh, you know structure of the, the the games themselves. It was it was a lot of fun. It was it was a super cool experience. Yeah. Um. So I know you have. We talked about it a little bit before. Um. I know you have a a Rio story 
um, that I won't I won't spoil. So give us your uh, outside of the Olympics Rio experience for us. Just dive right in with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, one, I'll say this. I stayed in Copacabana, which is the big sort of beach neighborhood and not at the Olympic Park, which I was a little disappointed about at first. It turned out to be the best thing in the world because you basically had Rio at your doorstep and we Mm -hmm. would. You know, other writers and I, Steve Plitty from Newark, who used to work in Raleigh, you know, we would spend, we would go to these little, yeah, these little bars where that basically they roll up the steel shutters on the street, put a table out, and you get a big bottle of beer, and it's in like one of those stone cooler things, and then you pour it into little glasses, and that's kind of how Brazilians sit on the street and drink beer. We watched uh, Usain Bolt run, I think it was the, yeah, it was the 100, um, mm-hmm. in a tapas bar on the beach. And we were just kind of sitting outside eating some Spanish food. It's kind of a night off for both of us. Neither of us were, were going out to the track and they have the big screens and the, all the TVs in Brazil. I'll get to the good story in a second. All the TVs in Brazil <laughs> would show men's volleyball all day, not soccer, not anything like they all they cared about was that if the Brazil men's volleyball team was playing, yeah, that was the big deal. But when Bolt got ready to run the final of the hundred, I switched all the TVs over and they had big pull-down TVs in the restaurant. So from our table, we can see the TVs inside. So Bolt's at the starting line, and we look around, and the entire neighborhood, like five, six deep, is pressed up against, like, the walls and windows of the restaurant on the outside yeah. to watch Bolt run. Like, there are taxis left running in the, stru- the side street next <laughs> to the restaurant with the door open because the cabbie has run up to watch, like, the word got out, and like, mm-hmm. we're all going to watch Bolt run. And he... I don't know if you remember this, but Bolt's like behind in the first 50 meters. Mm-hmm. He didn't have a great start. And then at like 60 meters, he starts to pull ahead and then he's gone. When he pulled ahead, that entire inside, outside the restaurant, everybody went nuts. It was amazing. Um, I have this video of it on my phone and you can just like, it's quiet, quiet, quiet. And the moment he pulls ahead, like, yeah. <laughs> All right. That's not the story you wanted to hear though. But we did get to explore Rio a little bit, which was great. Yeah. And they had, like cops and soldiers everywhere because it was the Olympics and countries don't want to look stupid. So it was probably mm-hmm. the safest that Rio has been in, 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 in sort of the modern era. But yeah. Rio has this very famous jewelry store. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope I remember this right. I believe it's called H. Stern. And they have ads at the airport and on the buses. I mean, it's, 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 it's a tourist trap, right? Mm-hmm. But you go and they have this little tour and they show you all. It's, it's famous for like raw gemstones from the Brazilian, you know, out outlying like brazil's massive and they have all these gem mines so i went and i did a little tour and then you sit down with a salesman he shows you these stones and he gets stones mm-hmm. from the vault i bought a very small non-extravagant broad gemstone birthstone for my wife and you know very the, the basically the cheapest you can get out of it <laughs> and i was i was ready to but the people like you know whatever russian tourists come in there and spend you know, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, I mean, it's that kind of store. Like, if you want to buy a big, unset diamond, this is you know, or or one of those Braz- like Brazilian topaz that's very hard to find in the states. This is where you go to get it. And mm-hmm. I'm sure there are better places in Rio, but this is the big one. So anyway, I'm ready to go, and I you know start walking toward the exit. The guy's like, no, 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 we got to go downstairs. I was like, oh crap, they're gonna try to sell me something else. But no, <laughs> what it is is because they do so much business with tourists, and because People in Rio know that Yeah. when you are done there, whether you buy anything or not, even if I hadn't bought anything, they put you in an, in an unmarked black tinted window Mercedes and you come out of an underground garage like a block away so no one can track you, follow you out of the jewelry store. Wow. You're, you're a target at that point. And they, 
drive you up to your hotel and drop you off out front. You walk in the hotel with my little H stern bag that had almost nothing in it. Um, <laughs> but you know, that, that's, it was, it was kind of a wake up call. We had been so safe yeah. and so secure in Rio at that point. I mean, my brother went to Rio either right before or right after the Olympics and the, his Brazilian, this is a work trip, but like his Brazilian office host told him, you need to carry a, an empty wallet with like 20 reais, the Brazilian currency in it. So if you get mugged, you can throw them the empty wallet and not lose your good one. We didn't do any of that. We were fine. We walked around <laughs> late at night. I'd get back, you know, the bus would drop me off or we'd take the subway back late at night or an yeah. Uber and walk the five or six blocks to our hotel, which is back on the side street up against the mountain. It was, it was wild, but that was my welcome to Rio moment, really. Well, that <laughs> and the very first night I was there, someone stole my credit card. Number. Oh, that's the That worst. was my other welcome to Rio moment. <laughs> but it was awesome. And I loved Rio and I wish it were that safe all the time because I would go yeah. back in a heartbeat. It's one of the most amazing places on earth. I mean, the mountains come out of the sea at a 60 degree angle. I, I just, you just completely overwhelmed by the scenery at time. The people are awesome. It's fun. They're, they're lighthearted. The food is great. Um, Rio's great. I wish, I wish Brazil were in better shape because I'd love to go back. Yeah. We went, um, my rookie year, I was with the heat. We went to Rio in the preseason and our hotel was right on the beach. Um, which was really cool, but you know, we got there, they were like, they were basically like, you guys can kind of go to the beach and that's pretty much it. Like <laughs> stay in the hotel, don't go anywhere. Um, so yeah, most of my, I don't know, we were down there three, four or five days, whatever. Most of my time in Rio was sitting in the hotel. Um, but I went down to the beach for a little bit and walked around. Um, that, that's, that's all I got. I didn't hit the, I didn't hit the jewelry store. Well, if you, if you'd known, because they yeah. could have brought you to the way of pressure. <laughs> yeah. You know, I ran, you know, they have those very famous sort of black and white tiled sidewalks on, mm -hmm. on the beach there. And I, I, I would run on the beach pretty much every morning. Um, you know, it was six or seven blocks from my hotel to the beach. And I would jog to the beach and, and get my, my three miles in and jog back to the hotel. And never, you know, I never once, never once had any issues. Or there were very few, even like the rumors in the media center, there, were, there mm -hmm. just weren't people having issues. The biggest problems were, were people getting in, in car crashes in like taxis and ubers and yeah stuff. i think a german coach got killed because traffic in rio is insane but yeah i'm sorry you didn't get to see more of the city but you, <laughs> you at least saw you know like like if you're standing on the beach you could see whatever that is sugarloaf the mountain that's at the end of the beach and all yeah. that like that's the scenery it's it's no it's cool. the, you have to yeah. see it i think so. yeah the scenery was awesome before we continue our conversation let me tell you guys a little bit about our partners over at bet river sportsbook if you haven't signed up with Bet Rivers yet, now's the time because they are offering a $250 match bonus for your first deposit. But what sets them apart is that they require just one playthrough to turn your bonus into cash money. With their new Rush Pay instant approval, withdrawing your winnings is safer, more secure, and more reliable. With basketball season in full swing, get in on the action by going to betrivers.com today. Or by downloading the Bet Rivers iOS app, must be 21 years or older. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about this year's Duke team. Um, this being a Duke podcast, um, what have been? <laughs> <laughs> we have to uh, talk about that sometime. Yeah. Um, what have been your impressions thus far, um, this year's team, and uh, what do you think their, I guess their ceiling is uh, moving forward into March? I, mean, I think their ceiling is still what we thought it was at, at the beginning of the year. I mean, I think even though there are other teams, I think that have had more impressive seasons, I think mm -hmm. this is still a team capable of winning a national title because 
I mean, I think that the combination of Ben Caro and, and Griffin is just so hard to defend. Mm-hmm. And if both those guys get going at the same time, you know, that, that is such a matchup problem. I, I, to me, and I felt this way after the Kentucky game in New York, I still feel this way now, whatever it is, four months later, three months later. Um, I, I feel like the key to this team is Trevor Keels. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when I first saw him play against real competition against Kentucky, you know, he's got that sort of bigger body, bigger than some of the other guards who have come through lately. Um, he reminds me sort of, of like a, a pocket Justice Winslow in a way, you know, mm-hmm. just that guy who's just, just more developed than the other players at his position. Um, and, and that is, is you know, you, you go back to the whatever, you know, the, some of Duke's earlier exits, the South Carolina loss in, in 17 um maybe Oregon in, in six I think it was Oregon in 16 if I remember correctly um I'm hoping in that right um you know they there were times where it seemed like the, the they could get bullied a little bit on the perimeter mm-hmm. um like Sundarius Thornwell was just amazing and and I think that this team that Keels is kind of the antidote for that a little bit also I really wish we've seen all these like narrow losses these one possession losses mm-hmm. you go back to that Virginia game Trevor Keels had the ball in his hands on the last two possessions where Duke scored. And yeah. then they get away from that and Mancara turns it over and whatever. Like that to me, that, that, that's, that's going to be the, the position. Now it worked against wake. If I remember mm-hmm. correctly with Bancaro as sort of a point forward on the last possession. And maybe that's the way to go. I mean, if you go back to, to 2019, the, you know, Duke not having the ball in its best player's hands at the key moment of the season uh, was a huge issue. So yeah. maybe if you go to 2022, you should start planning now for having your ball, the ball in your best player's hands at the end mm-hmm. of the game. And, and Paul is certainly capable of that. Like he's, his game is, is totally capable of, of, of doing that. But I, I think that's the ceiling for this team. Now, are there things that, that need to improve? Absolutely. Um, they've got to be able to like, like I, AJ Griffin is, is, is explosive and fantastic. Mm-hmm. I, I think we're still scratching the surface with him. He's got to keep that progression has to continue. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the other thing about this team, and this goes more back to 2010, like for me, the big X factor on that 2010 team was, was, was sort of Zubek's development and ability to protect the rim. Mm-hmm. 2015 had that team had that a little bit with Okafor, although certainly no one would consider him sort of a defensive stalwart, but he could protect the rim. Yeah. Mark Williams ability in theory to make up for breakdowns on the perimeter, I think is, is another key thing for this team. Like, like, like he's, he can be so good in that role as that sort of secondary, you know, things break down and someone comes down the lane. Um, he's got to stay out of foul trouble yeah, and, yeah. and, he, and he's got to play to the, to the top of his ability. But I think this team has the pieces. I mean, I think if there's one thing that's missing, it's probably one more shooter off the bench mm-hmm. and maybe maybe that's maybe that can be joey baker I and mean, obviously he's shown flashes of that over the course of his career um and he he, he got hot the other night um but but i, I feel like if there's I, there's one thing that this team really could have used it would be sort of one more perimeter shooting threat off the bench but yeah you know you look at the games they've lost they've all been close games they beat kentucky they beat gonzaga I, this may be a case where we're letting a few possessions sort of color our perception of this team in general, because, um, you know, there, other than the Ohio state game, which is a blown lead as opposed to sort of a late, late last possession collapse. 
this team is really not that far from, from being a one loss team and a one loss team that's beaten Gonzaga and Kentucky. I think that gets lost a little bit when people just sort of look at the raw record and and the analytics, you know, if Duke were number two in Kempom, I think we would have a different feel about that. Um, but it, it's not, I mean, it's eight or nine, seven or eight, I think. And, 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 but I, I still think that this is a team that's capable and has, has the, 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 the horses um, to make a deep run in the NCAA tournament. If you think about it, you know, starting in Greenville, they won't have to play South Carolina this time. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and then potentially going to Chicago or Philadelphia, you know, those, the, the Chicago, I, I think the NCAA is going to put Duke in Chicago, regardless of how anything works out the CBS is going to want K in Chicago. Um, but you know, that, that is potentially a, a relatively soft ass. Now, Pat, now the thing is, and this was the way in the Saturday reveal, they had Duke going out West in the Saturday reveal. Yeah. He's never yeah. won an NCAA tournament game in the Pacific time zone. So I guess, I guess if he is ever going to do it, now is the time he's, yeah. got, one, he's got one shot, yeah. but that would be fascinating to me if that ends up happening. Yeah. Uh, I, we had an experience in Anaheim, my sophomore year, um, and that didn't end well with uh, Derek Williams. Derek um, Williams in Arizona. Losing his mind in the first half. He doesn't lose his mind in the first half. We win by like 15, but um, he kept well, him in it. Let me, ask, let me ask you this. How much of your guys' ability to defend him on the perimeter was hampered by the fact that it was only Kyrie's third game back? Uh, I don't know if it was that. Um, I think I do think um, Kyrie being back, it shifted things a little bit, right? Mm. Because um, I think you know we had gotten into a really good rhythm. Um, guys knew what was going, knew what was going on. Nolan obviously was you know amazing that year. Um, you know Kyrie being out. Um, and leading us and, you know, Seth had really come into his own that, that season. Um, you know, I was comfortable, you know, in my role coming off the bench and whatnot. And so like, we had a really good rhythm and um, not to say, obviously, if you have a chance to put Kyrie Irving on the court, you're going to put Kyrie Irving on the court. Um, but it did, but it does change. It changes things, right. It changes things for Nolan, especially, um, you know, he's on the ball most of the time uh, that year. And then, you know, Kyrie comes back. It just the dynamics are a little bit different. Um, so I think that was, you know, a bit of an adjustment. And like, you know, it wasn't he he had really just come back to practice with us like the week before. Um, so it wasn't like, you know, he was in practice with us for weeks and then he came back. It was, you know, he had just gotten back into practice. Um and most of that time the week before he was with us on the second team. So he wasn't even really getting a ton of reps, um, you know, with Nolan, with Kyle, with that first team. So it was just, it was just, it was different and it was an adjustment. Um, and then as far as Derek Williams, man, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if like. He was amazing. Yeah, was it was insane. ridiculous. And I feel bad, you know, Ryan was on him uh, and Ryan was playing really good defense. Um, he was just, he was just hitting some tough shots. And, um, yeah, he kept him in it. He kept him around. And then the second half, um, they kind of pulled away down the stretch. But, again, I think if uh, – I mean, he misses a couple of shots in the, in the first half. I think we're up 10 going into halftime, and that game's pretty much over. But yeah. um, – uh, I'll, I'll say this, though, and you may disagree, but this is just my feeling observing it in Charlotte. I don't think you guys beat Michigan 
without Kyrie. No, you know, no, no, no. With he the, was huge. Because he was kind of ended up being the answer to, to, to dealing with the one three one. Yeah. That you guys had struggled against the B line one three one. And then so anyway, I remember being in Greensboro watching him work out before the you know, before one of the tournament games, maybe the, mm-hmm. the title game even. I can't remember. And 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 you know, that whole like there's 30 of us in the arena at 10 in the morning or whatever. Everyone's watching and going, yeah. you know, baseline to free throw. I guess he can play back. So anyway, I don't. You're supposed to be asking the questions, not me. <laughs> no, no, that was good. Uh, <clears throat> have you ever – do you remember a time um, in covering um, college basketball in the Toronto area where the ACC was so down? Uh, I mean, I think for most – maybe like outside of like two weeks <laughs> of the season, um, Duke has been the only team in – in the rankings at all. Um, do you remember a time where the ACC felt this, this bad, I guess? Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. There have been, there have been periods of time where it felt like it was Duke and UNC and everybody else. I mean, mm-hmm. people forget that, that the ACC didn't have a final four team between 2010 and 2015, that 11, 12, 13, 14, that's the longest title final four drop in ACC history. Mm-hmm. So this is a league that has consistently sent at least one team to the final four. And usually it's either Duke or North Carolina. And, and obviously part of the problem was in that 11 to 14 period, neither Duke nor Carolina went. And, you know, both teams were kind of in sort of weird rebuilding cycles in some ways. And then 15, 16, 17, it, it changes. And then, and then 19 with Virginia. Um, if you go Back to sort of, I mean, you can break it down, and I have. There have been years that have, have been sort of this bad. Um, but typically, you've had two, two things have happened. One, you've had two or three teams at the top that are Final Four contenders, like mm-hmm. Duke and Carolina and Maryland, or Duke and Carolina and Georgia Tech, Duke and Carolina and Virginia. Uh, you know, the, there's, there's a, a group of teams at the top that are kind of fighting it out to be at the top. There, there's, in the standings, there is this year, but I don't think anyone feels like you know, if Duke and Notre Dame played 10 times on a neutral court, that Notre Dame's going to win six of those. Yeah. And the other part of it is, and this has been true for the last three or four years, except for sort of the Jeff Bezdelic era at Wake, we haven't seen the bad teams in the ACC be this bad. Yeah. And that drags everybody down. When the worst team in the ACC, whether it's a 12-team league or a 19-team league or a 15-team league, is still in the top 150, which – has happened a lot over the years, it kind of holds everybody else up. Mm-hmm. But what we've seen with over the last, really, really since 2019 and, 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 and in the sort of the 2020 non-season 21 this year, teams like Pitt, um, Boston College. I mean, the, the, there, there were outliers like this, like the BC team where Dennis Clifford, you know, what was your best memory of the season? Uh, going out to eat with the guys <laughs> like that, that famous bad BC team. Yeah. But we haven't seen that consistently or multiple teams like that. And then you throw in, okay, Syracuse, perennial Sweet 16 team down. Mm-hmm. Louisville added to the league despite everything because they were good at basketball is terrible. Um, you know, Jeff Capel, I baffled by it, but he hasn't really been able to get Pitt going. Mm-hmm. Um, they've never recovered from the Kevin Stallings disaster. You know, Miami's back this year, which is great because those Jim Laranaga teams that that competed with, you know, Shane Larkin and, and all those guys, mm-hmm. that was great for the league. 
you know, Leonard Hamilton has had one of the better, more consistent programs at Florida State the last 10 years. They're down this year. Yeah. Uh, Georgia Tech wins the ACC title last year, maybe the worst team in the league this year. NC State, two-time national champion, hasn't won an ACC title since 87, but usually pretty good. They're down this year. I, I think they'll be okay, but they're down. Mm-hmm. Uh, team back is great for the league. Um, you know, Clemson's had better teams. It's just, it's a combination of a lot of things and a lot of teams that you depend on to be at least decent to be NCAA tournament team. Just start. I, I think the league is better when Wake is good because then you get the whole big four going. I think it's better when Notre Dame is good because I'm a huge Mike Bray fan. And I just would ask him his opinion on anything and write a column about it because he's more entertaining than me. Um, and and I, I think it's been great the last few years that Leonard Hamilton has had a team. In 2020, that was a Final Four team. Yeah. Like, they may not have made it there, but that was yeah. – Florida State had a Final Four team in 2020. So, you know, we, we just – you look across the ACC, other than Duke, it's just not there this year. Like, Notre Dame is okay. I think Notre Dame has, has you know, gotten better. Uh, Miami is good. The guards are great. Sam Wardenberg had this running dunk last night against Pittsburgh. That was like – you know, you're rewinding it to make sure it really happened. The, the the Hurricanes have some stuff going. And then, you know, North Carolina, maybe the second most talented team in the league, but who knows what you're going to get on any given night. It's just, it's hard for a lot of your programs that you count on to be good or very good to suddenly turn out to be good, okay, or bad. Yeah. And that's kind of what's happened. And the, the big question, and I don't have an answer for this, is, is this cyclical? Will mm-hmm. this all resolve itself in two years? Or have there been fundamental changes in the game of college basketball, financial changes, recruiting changes, transfer changes, um, you know, assistant coach departures, things like that. Are there fundamental changes in the world of college basketball that mean this is a trend and not a blip? And I don't I don't have the answer for that because I don't necessarily see those things happening other than since the SEC got a lot more money than everybody else. Yeah, SEC is suddenly (laughs) a lot better at basketball. Yeah. Um, and that that to me is the one dynamic that's changed. And, and you look at guys like Walker Kessler, who are you know playing for Auburn instead of UNC this year, you know, little things like that can make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we'll end on this one. Um, obviously, next weekend, next Saturday, um is Duke Carolina coaches final, Duke Carolina game, coaches final uh game in Cameron. What do you expect that? seem to be like you know i i the the only thing that i can compare it to in my experience would be the the 2019 zion unc game Mm -hmm. you know with obama there and you know the tickets for 10 grand and you know obama saying the shoe broke uh one of my my favorite favorite moments that that this will obviously eclipse that and i think we we got a sense of that what it's going to be like just at the weight game like there were like 22 former players there. Trey mm-hmm. and Tyus Jones were there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, guys that, that we haven't seen a lot in Cameron, some of them because they're playing in the league. But, yeah. um, you know, it was just, you know, uh, it, it, was, it was, you got the sense of something building. Um, you know, here's my question for you. Um, I, I think it's going to be insane is my answer. I don't know yeah. that we'll have seen anything like it. And the pressure that that team will face to not screw up against a UNC team that can be very explosive. Like mm-hmm. if Caleb Love hits his first four shots, look out. Like mm-hmm. then, then they're in it. Like the pressure on that team. Like I honestly think the ACC and NCAA tournament will be easier yeah. than this game yeah. because of the pressure to not screw this up. Mm-hmm. Um, but let me ask you this question. This is a question I've been pondering and asking people. 
if they win, especially if they win on like a last second shot, do you think the crazies will storm the floor? Oh, uh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know when the was Wojo's team the last court storm we had. I think so. Um, that's a good question. I mean, obviously, typically I'd say no. You know, we don't ever storm the court. Um, and I don't. I mean, the side note. Um, I guess I'm the old. Uh, I'm the old guy yelling at clouds, but I don't really, I don't like court storming. Um, just... oh, let's, let's circle back to that in a second. But... <laughs> um, they could, I guess. I feel like the students are going to have to distinguish themselves in some way to show yeah. that they, they've met, the crazies have met the challenge of this moment. Yeah. And now here's. It's definitely they, a non, there's definitely a non-zero chance yeah that's that's a good way to put it there's there's a non-zero chance like i think it could happen now if it's a 20-point game yeah maybe not yeah but um they they had a big fs who like tifo banner that they unveiled during the fsu game i guess i said wake it was i get fsu game um maybe they're gonna have maybe that was a test for a lot of sort of banners and things Mm -hmm. that they'll roll out during the game i think that would kind of check that box but i'm fascinated i talked to a guy who does you know, sort of arena security as a job. And I was like, what? And, and has spent a lot of time in Duke over the years. And I said, what do, you, what do you think? You know, are you planning for that? Like, would you be planning for that? Mm-hmm. And he was kind of like, I mean, I think we have to plan for it. Yeah. So yeah. I don't even know what that would look like. As you know, there's basically the corners and then two notches in the scores table, kind of at the, you know, between the free throw line and mid court. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that you can funnel all those people through those spaces without them stomping on press row. And right. Yeah. Top. Yeah. Press if they come, row, over, press the, row if they come over the top, I'm standing my ground. I'm just <laughs> that out there now. Yeah. Press row. We definitely get killed. I mean, and that's the other, like, is there such thing as like a polite court stormy? You know what I mean? Like, where they're like, Oh, excuse there, me, excuse there me. There is. Slide by. Uh, I, you, you know where you see it and they do a really good job with it is NC state. Really? If you look at like, do you remember the NC state game where they beat Duke and the kid in the wheelchair got tipped over and mm-hmm. then rescued by CJ Leslie? I can't remember his name. It's going to kill me. He's going to kill me if he watches this. Um, Will, Will, Will average, get Will, not average. Anyway, Will, Will got tipped out of his wheelchair. CJ Leslie rescues him from the storm. If you watch it very closely, all of the state fans come in from the corners that mm. they, the security steered them when they saw it was coming onto the court from the corners. And it was a very orderly, disorderly conduct. Um, so I, I think there are ways to do it. I just don't know that Cameron specifically is set up to do that without yeah. people getting killed because the grad students are going to trample the rich alumni. Yeah, they're, the yeah, they're going to go straight. Through, and the, through the undergrads back. are just going to come right over press row. And yeah. I don't know if you've ever sat in those chairs, but when you sit in them as a media member, there's a student on your back Mm-hmm. And your chest and belly is pressed up against the counter. So if there's ever a panic or a, you know, like a crush thing where like, let's say there's a fight and everyone backs away, we're all going to die. Yeah. Just, the whole crushed. media will just be cut in half. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't say I'm concerned about a court storm. I think uh, if we see it coming, we'll be able to brace ourselves and prepare and defend ourselves. But um, I'm fascinated whether it will happen. And I'll tell you the worst court storming I was ever in as a journalist. I was a student. And it was at Dartmouth. Really? Yeah. It's it, the, the, the 50 people in the building 
stormed the court after breaking Penn's 40-something game. I think it was 42-game Ivy winning streak. And they did not care. Like those 50 <laughs> kids were coming on the court no matter what. And they, one of them stepped right on my, right on my laptop. Oh, no. So, I mean, I, it was fine. It was the school paper's laptop. I was 19 years old. I was uh, okay. defending myself. But that was, you know, there's no security because it's Dartmouth and there's, you know, <laughs> 500 people in the building. But um, that was, that's the, that's the only one where I've ever actually felt threatened for my safety. The state, the ones that stayed have been fine. Like they do a really good job of funneling them into those corners and getting them on the court. And it's fine. And yeah. I don't think I've been in one courtside on the road, but maybe I've just blocked it out. Anyway, that was my question for you. I was just curious with your. Yeah. Like that's, that's a good that's a good question it's interesting um but i i hate court storming because <laughs> i feel like to me it's telling me that you didn't expect you didn't think you were gonna win <laughs> you know what i mean like i don't know i think yeah you know, like I, when you do something that you expect to do you know what i mean like you when you make breakfast in the morning Right. You don't go crazy and lose your mind and start running around because you expected, you know what I mean? You woke up, you know, I'm going to go make breakfast. That's something you yeah, expected to do. Yeah. It's not, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So to me, it's like it's telling me that, like, as fans, you didn't think this was possible. And it shocked you. Yeah, I can see that. And I think that's probably more true for someone who played at Duke where you're expected to win every single game. Yeah. 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 I think that's like that's I, for sure part of it. Like I understand like, like the, the I, state has stormed the court against Duke at least once, maybe twice in the last 10 years. And I feel like if you haven't beaten a team in 15 years mm-hmm. or whatever it is, 10 years, five years, um, and they're the number one or number two team in the country. Like I, I'm with you 100. percent I'm like I think the overrated chant is stupid. Like if they're overrated, <laughs> what does that say about you? But yeah. I get the impulse to celebrate and yeah, commemorate yeah. a big yeah. win, especially if you're not used to it. I think it's different at a place like Duke or or North Carolina or Villanova or Gonzaga. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think in, like even if Gonzaga were, I don't know, and they're never going to be an underdog at home. But like yes. Villanova should not be storming the court after beating UConn under any. <laughs> yeah. And part of it for me is probably uh, I only, I only experienced court storming against me. I never experienced right. court how, storming how many in your, for how me. Many, how many times in your career do you remember getting, having to, you know, get your butt off the court because the students were coming? Pretty much every, almost every ACC, <laughs> almost every ACC road loss. Um, well, I wouldn't say no. I wouldn't say almost every like because let's see. My freshman year, we lost to Georgia Tech. They didn't storm. I don't think they may have stormed. When we lost at Maryland. I know they stormed. When we lost at NC State. Um, Florida State. We were number one my sophomore year, and they stormed. Pretty much every time we lost to NC State, they they stormed the court. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, <laughs> it, it doesn't. It legitimately doesn't happen that often. I, I'll yeah. plug my. My good friend Brett Strela, who's a former sports writer, who's now a sports info director at App State, is the uh, official keeper for, for years of the Duke court storm counter, where he tracks every time that <laughs> you guys have been have been stormed against after a loss. So Brett is still the custodian of that that record um, uh, permanently. So I can't remember which 
it might have been the overtime game at Florida State this year. I can't remember if the Florida State students stormed the court, but I remember I remember tweeting at Brett like, "Get out the Google Doc." Yeah, I rem- I mean, I think I've told the story on the podcast before, but I remember uh, my junior year uh, before Florida State, like they, you know, they like plan for um, them to storm the court, and so we had gone out for warm ups and. Um, you know, we warm up and then we come back in and talk one more time and then we go back out on the court. So we had come back in for that last talk. And normally that's when coach comes in and he goes over the last things, you know, Dre, you got this guy, he's right hand driver, Austin, uh, you're going to be on this, but like, you know, just last, mm. last um, game plan points before we go out on the court to play. And he didn't do any of that. He was like, he was so mad. You can tell when he's mad, like when he walked in, he was so mad and he was, and we were like, what is going on? And he was like, He's like, you know what they just told me? They just told me um, that after we lose, that uh, we're not going to be able to go out, you know, walk off the court this way. We're going to have to walk off the court that way. Um, you know, some other way than, than when we walked on to the court to begin with. And he was like, you know, I'm not going to say all the words he said, but he was just like, he was like, I don't walk. Uh, and he was like, I'm not walking off the off this court any other way than the way we walked on the court and like he, he was pissed. So I guess someone had come, you know, some of the, one of their security guys that gave him the plan for like, after y'all lose, this is how you're going to leave the court. Um, and so he, he was so mad. He didn't go over none of the stuff on the board. Um, and you know, long story short, we walked off the court the same way we walked on the court. Uh, Cause we were all like, we were I mean, like, Ah, so no ready to go. No, no, no. I think we won by double figures. I think I had like 17 and a half. Um, yeah, we like, I think we just, we beat the crap out of him because we were all, we were all like so up together because he was, he was fired up. So we were all fired up. So, um, yeah, we, we avoided that course story. <laughs> do you think, do you think they really told him that? That's a good question. That, that's 50 50. It's 50 50. Um, I don't know though, because he was really upset. <laughs> so I can feel you, like... can you tell when he's legit mad and just mad to try to shake you guys up? Yeah, I think yeah, because he doesn't okay. like every year. Um, they come in to practice. Like once you get to like junior senior year, you you can kind of see it. Every year they come into one practice, at least one, um, just just ready to kick you out. Um. So you get kicked out of one practice every year, no matter what. And it's funny. I think it was my last year. I knew I knew it immediately. Like as soon as they came upstairs, I think I told Tyler, I was like, we're getting kicked out today. Because it's, you know, it's just a like, you know, you've been there long enough. You know, their personality. Yeah, you've seen it. A million yeah. Times. Like I saw it coming from a mile away. And I was like, I was like, we got like, I was like, guys, we got to be on it. Like, don't don't make any mistakes. Like, just like let's focus let's lock in and i mean we got kicked out but uh, it didn't work but <laughs> uh yeah you could definitely tell that one he seemed genuinely mad and also um that was my that was my junior year so the year before we lost there uh i think that was our first loss of the season we're like 17 or something and they stormed the court so i i believe i believe that one uh, but anyway uh, anyway Thanks. Uh, thanks so much for the time, Luke. No, we went a little longer than uh, normal, but um, appreciate the time. Thanks for coming on. And um, yeah, I mean, from my perspective, I hope Duke goes all the way um, and you get to write about 
coach winning the national championship on his way out. So yeah. it would it would be a great story. Let me real quick uh, plug my own podcast. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. If, if I can, we got the NNO has the uh, the ACC Now podcast where we've got mm-hmm. interviews with everybody from Hubert Davis to Governor Cooper, North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper on there. Um, so and uh, Steve Wojciechowski was just uh, a guest with Steve Wiseman. So if you okay. want more, if you want more Duke, not that you could want any more Duke than everything during <laughs> uh, there's that. And uh, currently on hiatus, but we have forty something episodes. Bruce, the Whistleblowers uh, podcast I've done with Hall of Fame referee John Clockerty. Um, he uh, he's on AC, one episode of the ACC Now podcast too. But if you have any interest at all in basketball officiating, he's got great stories about everybody from. John Thompson to Coach K and then everybody in between. So, uh, you know, and, and the time someone threw in a switchblade at him in Memphis. So oh, wow. uh, there's all kinds of good stuff on there uh, <laughs> if you're interested in that kind of thing. But uh, thank you. for Thank you very much for having me and letting me plug my stuff. I appreciate it and, and enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Luke.